Good morning, Ackland Avenue. So glad to see everybody this morning. You know, scripture says, when two or more are gathered, the Lord is there too. So I am thankful for his presence here today. And I hope that you will feel his presence in your life. I'm going to begin this morning by reading from an NIV version of the Bible. uh, And I'm going to read Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And, if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they put fat, and they built Python and Ramesses as their store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shephra and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on their delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered, Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a paperous basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go? And get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. Please bow with me. Lord God, As I read your word this morning, I cling to the fact that you take care of us in ways that we can never expect, that maybe we don't see at first, that maybe we don't realize, maybe we may not even be grateful for the help that is there. Yet you send people, you dictate laws, you provide a way to take care of us 
thank you for that. And Lord, we realize that there are a lot of things in this world, a lot of sin in this world that causes a lot of things. We pray for your power to overcome the sin. We pray, Lord, that you will wash many clean and that they will graciously come to you and accept you and love you. God, I also know that I have doubts, and I know there's others that have doubts. We're hurting, and we feel broken and lost with stuff like virtual school, what's going on with our jobs, our own health, our friends, our family, the lack of seeing each other and doing what most of us would call normal. You haven't left us through any of this, Lord, and we appreciate that. Help us when we don't feel your presence. Remind us that you're present. Help us carry our burdens to you and then to give up those burdens. Thank you for the good work that you're doing and that you're going to continue to do. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for all the many ways that you bless us and continue to bless us, especially through the gift of your Son who offers us forgiveness and mercy and grace. And please continue to be with us through all these new changes, and we ask that you continue to give us patience and hope that there can be peace found and we ask you to please be with all those who are sick and suffering and those who are lonely. Please help us to reach out to them in any way that we can and be with us as we listen to JP's message and help us as we go through a new week. Help us to be a light to those in our community and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. Good morning, church. This month marks the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. The hurricane slammed, as you remember, into Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. But we mainly remember it for the broken levees and the flooding in the city of New Orleans. I remember spending hours watching all of that coverage it just shocked me. It floored me. The footage of flooded streets, people paddling canoes and kayaks through the city, 
the crowds desperately seeking refuge in the Superdome. It all shocked me. It was overwhelming. Over 1,200 people died as a result of Hurricane Katrina and the aftermath. And it caused $125 billion in damage. And there's so many stories from that time that I've been drawn to over the years. A few years ago, I read Sherry Kirk's book, Five Days at Memorial, which details the immense challenges and even the ethical dilemmas faced at a New Orleans hospital. And then in recent weeks, I listened to The Atlantic's podcast, Floodlines, hosted by Van Newkirk. And it was really good. I recommend both of those resources. The stories of the pain and suffering around Hurricane Katrina, they really move me. They trouble me. And they even haunt me. Pain and suffering has always haunted me. I remember when I first realized the intensity of the suffering we experience in this life. I remember when I first realized that pain is not an every now and then occurrence, but a daily foe in this world. And I say all that realizing that I've had a blessed life. The majority of humans who have ever lived on this earth experienced far more pain and suffering than me. I've asked many questions in my life. I've wrestled with many questions and sought many answers. And yet no question has captivated my intention more than this question. How do I reconcile the pain and suffering of this world with my belief in a good God of purpose? And my journey with this question took me to Jesus. My search for answers took me to the story of a king who experienced betrayal, torture, and public execution. The Christian response to pain and suffering remains one of the main reasons I continue to follow Jesus. For Jesus resists easy, tried answers as well as hopeless cynicism. Jesus does not offer philosophical sayings from afar. Jesus enters into pain and suffering completely, and in doing so, Jesus changes how we think about it and how we approach pain and suffering. Building on what we talked about last week, Jesus laments. This is our second of five weeks on laments. Jesus honestly names the pain while crying out in hope, as we read last week from Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not the first time we read these words in the Bible. Jesus quotes David in Psalm 22. And that will be our conversation today. If you have a Bible, let's open it up together. I want us to read the entire psalm, section by section. Psalm 22 is a lament psalm. As we talked about last week, laments start with what we don't know and move towards what we do know. Laments move from questions to answers, even if not every single question is answered. And this psalm proves unique because unlike the simple trajectory of Psalm 13, which we did last week, this psalm has a back-and-forth quality. Remember the sequence of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation in laments? You'll notice that David vacillates among the various stages before settling in reorientation at the end. And I like that because that's normally how it works in my life. I kind of go back and forth before settling. 
You should know I'm working with the premise this morning. I believe that when Jesus quotes the first line of Psalm 22, he's invoking the entirety of the psalm. I think that fits best with how he quotes the Old Testament and other places, and also think it fits with the overall meaning of the cross. And think of it like this. If you hear someone say, I have a dream, they're not just invoking one line, but likely the entire speech of Dr. King. If you hear someone say, we hold these truths to be self-evident, they're likely trying to invoke the overarching meaning of the Declaration of Independence, not just that one line. So when Jesus cries out by quoting the first verse of Psalm 22, I believe he wants us to consider the entire psalm, which we'll do now. Beginning, Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Jesus here offers an honest, vulnerable, and intimate cry of disorientation. Jesus feels abandoned and forsaken. And on one hand, it might trouble us that the Son of God felt this way. But on the other hand, it might encourage us that Jesus identifies with our experience. He's been there. If you've ever felt forsaken, know this. Jesus did too. During Hurricane Katrina, the mandatory evacuation order came too late for some to get out. Some didn't have access to transportation anyway. And many of these individuals found themselves without, uh, without food, without water for days, and rumors and hysteria spread like wildfire. It all contributed to this apocalyptic sense of abandonment, and they felt forsaken. If you've been through anything like that, Jesus wants you to know that it's okay to say it out loud. You can pray, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can ask that question. It's okay. God is big enough to handle it. It's okay to say that you feel forsaken. Consider our current moment. You may feel trapped, like you have plenty of bad options, but no good ones. You may feel stuck at home and lonely. You may feel overwhelmed with work or childcare. Or, or maybe both, working while facilitating virtual school. You may be feeling dread over virus concerns and frustration that others don't share your concerns. You may feel like this country has lost its way, and you're not sure it will find it during your lifetime. You may feel like your views are misunderstood and misconstrued. You may have a stack of bills with no idea how to pay them. You may feel stuck in a marriage or a parent-child relationship. That seems to have no resolution in sight. And in the midst of all this, you may feel deep frustration with the church and even with God. The church may seem like little help to you, and God may seem to have gone silent. And if you have felt any of that, I want you to know this. Jesus, like David before him, wants you to know this. It's okay to say it. Trust Jesus. It's okay. You can say it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But know this, David's psalm does not end there. Jesus' beliefs don't end there. Your faith journey does not end there. So let's continue with verses 3 through 5. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. 
In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Notice the conjunction. In laments, always look for the words, yet, or but. David reminds himself of how God worked among his ancestors. This is why it's so important for young and old to spend time together. This is why an intergenerational church is so important. You've heard us talk about that before, but this is why it's so important. We need old and young to bring their gifts, bring their skills, and to do church together. Because young people bring enthusiasm, fresh outlooks, and an ability to question tradition. Older people bring wisdom, experience, and an ability to discern what beliefs should stay and which maybe should be discarded. Amongst the experience piece, older people have memories of how God worked in their life. Even at my age, I have those memories. I remember fears and anxieties concerning finishing high school, figuring out if I want to go to college, if so, where would I go, what would I major in, deciding on a career, navigating sexuality and relationships, burying people I loved, not getting jobs I really wanted, having to move when I didn't want to, and driving home from the hospital with a baby with no idea what would happen next. It, it was our baby, by the way. It wasn't some random baby. In all of that, God worked. God was with me, even when it didn't feel like it at the time. And I have more confidence in God now than I did 20 years ago, because I have more experience of God being faithful. But with older folks, it's even more. The Crouches, Eubanks, Myricks, Prills, Judy, they all have so many more years of experiencing God's faithfulness. If we look to church history, we see this even more. Our spiritual mothers and fathers made it through other pandemics, wars, and economic recessions and depressions. They survived. The church survived. And when you go through something for the first time, know this. It may be your first time, but thousands upon thousands of other disciples have gone through it. And they've come out on the other side. Let that encourage you. Because in these verses, that's what encouraged David and what Jesus is claiming as well. Continuing on, verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Notice another conjunction, the word but. When thinking of how God proved faithful to his ancestors, David says, But I'm a worm. David doubts himself. He thinks maybe he's uniquely sinful and flawed. He dehumanizes himself, basically saying this, Yeah, God was faithful to others, but maybe I'm different. Maybe this time is different. Family, know this. You are not different. Your sin is not worse than anyone else's sin. You are not less human than anyone else, and no matter what you have done or what others might have done to you, do not believe the lie that God does not value you. God created you, and you better believe God values you. Verses 9-10 through 10 as we continue. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. 
from birth. I was cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. And, you know, this is where we see David going back and forth. You know, he's tempted to think he's uniquely bad, uniquely unworthy. He's tempted to think God has maybe been there for his mothers and fathers, but not for him. But then he remembers God has been with him, even in the womb, even in those baby and toddler years from his very beginning. And this is an important thing to do. Take the time to, especially in tough times, take the time to remember how God has been there for you in the past. Some people like to journal. Some people sketch out kind of a spiritual autobiography. And for me, here's an example. I think of jobs I really wanted to get but didn't get. And then I think of the jobs I got because I didn't get those other jobs that I thought I wanted. And at several times in my life, I'm so thankful it turned out the way it did. I can see God directing my path as I look back. In this next section, David recounts the details of all that he's been lamenting. And we're not sure what part of his life this came from, but we do know at various times, you know, he ran from King Saul, his his son Absalom during the political coup, and other parts of his life. I mean, David had a very he had a life full of adventure, a lot of ups and downs. So let's this is what he's lamenting, verses here, verses eleven through eight. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near me. There's no help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Every time I read this, I get chills. I mean, David wrote this a thousand years before Jesus. And then Jesus quotes the first line on the cross. Think of those lines which remind you of the cross. They pierce my hands and feet. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. A pack of villains encircles me. Something like this happened to David. And something like this happened to Jesus right on the cross. And something like this may happen to you. I can think of countless Christians from history and even today that can claim some of these phrases as their own experience. Once again, the God of the Bible, the God made flesh in Jesus, doesn't offer philosophical explanations from afar. God enters into our suffering. Jesus comes to know suffering, but gives it a very different ending. And now let's finish the psalm with a longer section here, verses 19 through 31. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. 
From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. David asks for rescue and promises to declare God's power to future generations. David makes a vow, if you will. If you deliver me, I will tell people forever. And God did deliver David, and David did tell people of God's power for as long as he lived. But ultimately, David died. And what do we do with that? What do we do with the seeming forsakenness of death? And this is where Jesus' embrace of Psalm 22 gives a final interpretation. The cross will not be the last word on Jesus. The cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, will not last forever. God raised Jesus from the dead, and if we believe in Jesus, we will rise from the dead as well. In the future, there is a complete kingdom where we'll never have a sense of being forsaken. And notice the kingdom fulfillment language of verses 26 through 28. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. That's the very thing we read about from the prophet Isaiah. In the book of Revelation, from the words of Jesus, this is the coming future kingdom. This is heaven. This is the new heavens and the new earth. This is what Jesus will enact when he returns, and he will return. What does all this mean? If Jesus' crucifixion was his disorientation, then his resurrection was a reorientation. Notice the triumphant, he has done it, in that last verse. I find that incredibly similar to It is Finished, another saying from the cross. Jesus secured our future hope by entering into an experience of forsakenness, by coming into our pain and suffering. Jesus changed how we see pain and suffering. Our suffering is really hard, but it's temporary. It will not last forever. Someday things will be better. Jesus conquered death. Jesus is alive now. We will experience some good times on this earth. Life is going to have some good moments. Jesus is risen. We can experience a taste of the kingdom now. For example, if you've been to New Orleans in recent years, you can see signs of renewal. It's beautiful, even if it's still not perfect on every level. But someday when Jesus returns, there will be no more pain and suffering. Life will be how it should be, the complete and total kingdom. So in the meantime, we should lament. We should practice honest hope. We should feel free to say out loud, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the cry of disorientation, which we all feel at times. But we should also proclaim, He has done it. Christ has done it. 
and this is Honest Hope. I have a lot of questions, but I do know this. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Our best days are ahead of us. We will not be forsaken. Please take a moment to uh, to worship God and to prepare your hearts and minds uh, for communion. Will you bow with me as we bless the bread? Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for the life and knowledge you have made known to us through your servant Jesus. As this broken bread, once dispersed over the hills, was brought together and became one loaf, so may your church be brought together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Amen. Will you now bow with me to bless the cup? Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for the holy vine of David, which you have made known to us through your servant Jesus. Bless this cup, which is his blood. Amen. Hello, I'm going to be reading Romans 12, 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, thank you for all that you do for us. We pray for those affected by the virus and anyone else who is struggling. Be, please be with us as we start a new week. In Jesus' name, amen. Greetings, Ackland family, from the Soundproof Recording booth in the Porter household. I hope everyone enjoyed our 23rd virtual Sunday service. I want to go ahead and wish Vivian Beatty a happy birthday. She turns 12 on the 23rd. And want to wish a happy birthday to Samuel Bow Lovinggood, who turns 9 on the 26th. We've got a few announcements this morning. Um, just wanted to let you guys know that Ackland Avenue helped get together 250 sets of headphones that we have given to Fall Hamilton 
so that their students can uh, participate in the virtual learning. So thanks for helping out that Ackland partner. Also, September is typically a month where we have our Lawrence Avenue, Ackland Avenue get together weekend. But since we can't do that in person this year, we're trying to come up with some creative ways to, uh, to be able to get together this month virtually. Um, also wanted to let you guys know that there is, uh, we are working for, working towards some, uh, a fall retreat with some virtual and outside masked options. Looks like that's going to take place one weekend in October. So uh, just keep your eyes peeled for information on that. And that's all I've got. Uh, stay tuned to the emails for further announcements throughout the week. And you guys enjoy your coffee and donuts. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.